0: I'm one of only two candidates in the field that 10% or more of Donald Trump voters say that they would support. It's because I'm focused on solving the problems that they see around them every day. When we are not unified as a party, we're weaker. And going against Donald Trump, we need strength. Nobody on that stage, none of us can do this individually. We have to
1: be able to pull together the whole party. The only way we're going to get all this stuff done, people talked about climate change, immigration reform, income inequality, and prescription drugs, is if we not just win the presidency, we have to take back the U.S. Senate. Welcome to the podcast. I am Anthony Salvanto. This week's big number is one, as in one top tier of candidates in the 2020 race for the Democratic nomination. In our latest polling across the early states, the states that will hold their contests up through Super Tuesday, really, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden have emerged as the top choice right now for voters, a couple of them even leading in states like Nevada, where Sanders was up, New Hampshire, where Warren was up just marginally over Biden and Sanders, Iowa, where Biden was leading, and South Carolina, where Biden had a larger lead. All of that set up the most recent debate, but it also sets up the question of what the other candidates can do to try to catch up and what it means to be a front runner out this early in the nomination. So on this episode, we go behind the numbers, joined as often, always appreciated by Caitlin Huey Burns, CBS News political reporter. Caitlin has been following the candidates all over the country. Always a pleasure.
0: Hello. Thanks for having me again.
1: Oh, of course, of course. We're so regular listeners will, of course, recognize Caitlin's voice, and we know that she's... She's kind enough to join join us in studio because you are a total road warrior these days, right?
0: Living it's... out of a suitcase.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and living the dream.
0: Exactly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it's fun. And I am jealous that you get to go and, and follow these campaigns around. And just to kind of kick it off, you know, we're, we're talking today about what we described as really a reshuffling at the top of the Democratic race, right? We've got this top tier. Mm-hmm. It's Biden, it's Warren, it's Sanders, but... Really, we've seen this Elizabeth Warren rise. And, you know, I'm wondering, as you're covering her campaign, you've interviewed her, as as our listeners and CBS News watchers, you know, undoubtedly know, Are they getting ready to do anything differently now that it's pretty clear they're ensconced in that top tier, may have more room to grow, maybe start taking fire from other candidates? What are they thinking?
0: Well, I recently sat down with Elizabeth Warren for an interview, and I asked her if she considered herself to be a front runner, And she said, no, 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 this is about the people. This is about the people supporting our movement and what we're trying to accomplish. So she's very much trying to focus on the grassroots energy of her campaign But it's interesting because I went out with her to follow her first campaign stop in Iowa in January. And I remember talking to voters there who were very interested in her. She had a lot of fans. I talked to one voter who said that she named her Roomba after Elizabeth Warren because (laughs) it cleans things up. So she had this kind of small but passionate following. People who had covered or followed her career for a long time. But even among her supporters there in January, several of them told me, you know, I really like her. I'm just really worried that other people might not find her able to be Donald Trump. And what we're seeing now in our CBS News Battleground Tracker poll is that more of her supporters are finding her Uh, fit to beat Donald Trump, this kind of electability question that we've been talking about in various ways that voters themselves have been talking about as they kind of place this premium on defeating Donald Trump. So I think that kind of movement is, is really interesting to me. And what the campaign has focused on from the very beginning is organization. And we're really starting to see that pay off, at least now at this point in the campaign. I was with her recently in New Hampshire. It's a hometown crowd, certainly, because she's just over the border. But the energy and enthusiasm for her campaign there was really unlike anything that I've seen recently. So that kind of organization, but by which I mean hiring lots of staff on the ground, the the door knocking, the canvassing, the building up momentum kind of among you know your friends and family and community, that kind of grassroots effort, they invested pretty early on, spend a lot of money doing it. And there were questions about whether that was sustainable. Well, right now, it seems, again, at this point in the campaign, because things can change, that that is paying off for them.
1: When you sit down with a candidate, when you sit Mm -hmm. down with Elizabeth Warren, tell us what that's like. Do you get a very prescribed amount of time? Do they say you have five minutes, you get in three questions, or is it a back and forth? How does that go?
0: You know, it's interesting because we are... All of us are covering these campaigns. We're with these candidates all the time. So there's so many of us. It's really hard for them to remember who we are. They just are kind of used to this big pack of, of reporters <laughs> following their every move. And it's not,
1: oh, it's Caitlin again, or hi, Caitlyn. No, or, you yeah. know,
0: and, and we have... a. In, if I can give a plug for our fabulous CBS News embed yeah, who yeah. are on the road with these candidates at every single stop and are following their every move. These candidates are, are, are used to this kind of thing, especially those who have been in Congress. I used to cover Congress before uh, this job. And, you know, you just go up to lawmakers in the hallway and ask them questions. And so they're kind of used to this kind of thing. So for these sit-down interviews, you really have such a limited amount of time, especially on a weekend where they have several other candidates campaign events, but to be able to sit down with them and kind of ask some questions about their campaign, but also... Some other things, you know, people that they're talk that they're talking to on the campaign trail, how they are assessing comments that they hear from voters. Remember, these candidates are interacting with voters on the selfie lines; uh, they're meeting them face to face. And people, what I'm struck about covering this campaign and others in the past too, is how much people really pour their hearts out to these candidates. They share really deep personal stories about their health care, about their family, about their own kind of, you know, personal struggles, because they're looking for leadership on those issues. You know, I asked Bernie Sanders about this, actually, recently when I was interviewing him, kind of, how does that make you feel when people come up to you and share all this information? And it's interesting because Bernie Sanders is not doesn't really talk about anything personal, but you know he he suggested that this is really what is driving him that he's hearing from people about the high cost of prescription drugs. they're not able to get access to health care. Things are just kind of feeling stacked against them and and you really realize that this is shaping a lot of the campaign for a lot of these people,
1: so they learn as they go, and I think that's probably the overarching argument in favor of people who say, you know, New Hampshire should go first or Iowa should go first, right? It's that being forced almost to spend time listening and hearing from voters and really anybody who's become president or run for president has gone through that process, right? We know the, we know what the detractors say about that. It's not Mm -hmm. necessarily a representative place and et cetera, et cetera, but, but that's kind of the argument for it. So it's interesting to hear how it motivates or changes the candidates themselves. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it also brings up, I think, the question of what happens to what we call the lower tier candidates. And, you know, we, we put that label on because, okay, they're not getting as much support right now. But we also know, as you've said, that it's early. We've often seen historically people who were in the single digits ultimately rise up What are you seeing from those candidates? You know, whether it's, you know, Buttigieg sort of had a moment Mm -hmm. in the polls there. He's he's kind of leveled off. A Cory Booker, we know who's put Mm -hmm. a lot of effort into some of these places. When they go and they're talking to people, what messages and what ways are they looking at to try to break out, for lack of a better word.
0: All right. Well, Cory Booker a good example. And we talked to him recently as well. And he kind of noted that he doesn't want to be at the top of the polls right now. Now, that's someone that's coming from someone who's not at the top of the polls. But his argument is that when you are the front runner or when you're at the top of the polls at this stage in the campaign, All of this scrutiny is applied to you and it doesn't always last. That position doesn't always last. And we'll see if it does for some of these other candidates. Um, But it does give these lower tier candidates some kind of hope at advancing. And a lot of them actually point to the campaign of Barack Obama in 2008, who was lower down in the polls, kind of came out of nowhere really, and, and was able to win Iowa. And of course, we know... How that all went, so they they cite him constantly. The difference, of course, though, is that it's a different kind of campaign this time around. There also are more so more candidates so many candidates exactly, right. there are so many candidates. And it is very difficult to break through. And the other main difference is that because there were fewer candidates then, Barack Obama was polling much better uh, than Mm. a lot of these lower tier candidates are right now. So the challenges are different.
1: So looking bigger picture, and for listeners, we're here with Caitlin Huey Burns, who is kind enough to join us here in studio, CBS News political reporter while uh, she's back from from the road, Caitlin. So... You look at the poll numbers, and we often just rank order people, right? Who's in first, who's in second, whatever, and and maybe we shouldn't do that all the time, but we do. And and you look at those numbers, though the absolute numbers, and we're talking about twenty odd percent. Mm. So even a front runner right now is in the is in the twenties. You don't have to even get a majority to be the front runner, and so that speaks to the fact that it's you know the, the conventional terms, you know the fractured field or the you know the large field, but. You know, on the other hand, you could say, well, you really only need to get to 15 percent to be a top tier candidate.
0: Exactly. And that's a great point, too. And we've discussed a lot on this program about how delegates are awarded proportionately. So you don't have to, you know, necessarily win the state to become to to gain some delegates. So a lot of these candidates, you know, we've talked about, you know, Senator Bennett and Governor Bullock and some others, they're all really kind of camping out in Iowa lately Mm. because they're kind of hoping that if they are able to just meet a lot of voters face to face and kind of show that, look, I'm here, I'm listening to you, I'm talking to you that at some point they can start to, to gain traction. But it is really hard, especially when you have someone like Joe Biden in the race taking up a lot of oxygen and also someone like Donald Trump. I think they are competing with him kind of every day in a way in terms of media coverage, in terms
1: of trying to break through. And the Trump campaign knows that for sure. And they're going to insert themselves and they're going Mm -hmm. to make sure they're in the news all the time and... Right. Exactly. Take
0: um, recently there was a a climate town hall, climate change town hall where all these candidates were speaking Mm -hmm. and the Trump campaign came out with Trump straws. So they are, you know, watching this field very closely and trying to inject themselves in pretty much every conversation. The
1: Trump straws, which sold well from, I'm told. Are, are plastic straws, and it was a pushback against the idea of converting to plastic uh, to a paper straws, exactly, which were weak and flimsy, and right. you know don't, uh, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. don't don't do as good a job, but more eco-friendly. Suppo- yeah, supposedly, right, right, right. But I was, well, look, I, you know, one of the things that strikes me about the underlying sort of sense or desires of the electorate out there, if you get away from the candidates and you just think about what do voters want, and what they're looking for which could help determine, obviously, whether anybody else can rise up. you know, we've seen this movement towards voters saying the Democrats should take a more progressive message than even they had under President Obama. And if that number, which, you know, across the early states we now had at 60 percent, it used to be at 50 percent, does that either – start to favor candidates like Warren or Sanders? And does it start to make Joe Biden say, okay, you know, he's got to start to appeal to more of those folks who label themselves very liberal because that's what folks want. And and how were those campaigns, how was his campaign ad- adapting to that from what you've heard?
0: Yeah, this was one of the most interesting data points in the poll, I think, because I think that as we're talking about this tier that's formed, this question and the answers to it really represent kind of what the party is actually debating when well, they're well, trying you. to figure out. We you welcome.
1: <laughs> we I think on you on. did a good job with that. <laughs> oh, <thank you>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> a small plug. Um, you have someone like Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, of course, saying, look, we need big structural change. We Elizabeth Warren's campaign slogan is dream big, fight hard. She has said that, you know, why are we going through this process if we're not going to talk about things that that we can do? Joe Biden has been talking a lot about the Obama administration, how Obama picked him to be vice president. There's, of course, a reason for that. Obama is still very popular among Democrats, and especially among African-American Democrats, Joe Biden does really well. The question, though, is whether we're going to get into this debate and maybe it happens on the actual debate stage of whether the party wants to move beyond the Obama administration or just kind of get back to to normal, as you will. The latter is reflected in Joe Biden's campaign, the former in someone like Elizabeth Warren's campaign.
1: Normal being, as they define it, something pre Donald Trump in the minds of a Democrat.
0: Exactly. And and that's kind of what Joe Biden has been saying on the campaign trail a lot. He's talked about this as the battle for the soul of the nation. And he has said that he got into this race because of Donald Trump. And so you're seeing kind of, I think that question really reflects this significant debate that the party's having.
1: But it's also interesting to me that the Policy specifics that the Democrats are debating now, there's almost this, this sort of threshold. You have to be really policy specific in order to get in or be in that top tier. You know, we see in the polling, Elizabeth Warren's ranked very high on being knowledgeable about the issues. We see whether it's Biden or Sanders, both of them get their supporters saying, well, it's because we like their policy proposals. So you have to sort of meet that threshold But then you've also got to have one eye toward the general at some point thinking about how you, you know, win over voters who may not be as enamored with those proposals.
0: Exactly. And that's why you hear someone like Biden say things like, I support these ideas. I like the way the conversation is going, but we also have to be realistic. That is kind of a practical approach and a general election approach, but we're in a Democratic primary right now. We're seeing kind of the enthusiasm around, you know, let's look at where kind of the energy, at least at this point of time, in the party is. It It is seeming to, when you look at the crowds. someone like Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders are getting, uh, the interest uh, is, is kind of around what those campaigns are talking about. But those are also the most, you know, some of the most highly engaged voters at this point. So that's also something important to point out, that at this stage in the campaign, a lot of the people showing up for these events are people who have been paying attention. It's going to be interesting to see how that's sustained.
1: That's that's one of the points I've heard the Biden campaign make, Mm -hmm. which is that, you know, look, right now, this campaign is happening on Twitter. It's happening on social media. It's definitely happening. You know, somebody who's watching a long you know, somebody who's watching a four hour town hall <laughs> in the middle of the summer mm-hmm. is they're they're engaged. <laughs> Absolutely. Right? That's like the definition of engagement or showing up at some of these at some of these events. And and that's look, we think that's awesome, right? Because we love politics and, and we love the idea of people debating things. But the reality is that this is a group that, you know, engagement correlates with ideology, right? Mm-hmm. that sort of pollster speak for the idea that just like anything else people are really passionate about they tend to take a side when they do right yeah. but there's a large segment of voters out there who aren't quite as ideological who will eventually tune in and that will reshape the race as we go forward but look you've got to play for e- e- either either party when you're talking about primaries you have to play in the space that you know, you you're given, and that's where those voters are
0: exactly. and And it's interesting because I a couple of weeks ago was following Biden around South Carolina. and we talk about this kind of what's happening on Twitter, or social media versus what's happening mm. on the ground. And this was after, you know, Biden had made several gaffes in a row. He kind of had the summer of gaffs, so to speak. And I talked to a lot of voters there who said, like, I don't care. Mm. It makes him more human. They liked him. They knew him. They aren't, you know, going to every candidate event. They're not, you know, necessarily as engaged on social media and other platforms, but they saw Joe Biden come to their area and they liked what he had to say. And I think that kind of is is what keeps some of these campaigns going, especially someone like Joe Biden. He can kind of, you know, point to those voters and say, I know these other campaigns have the energy and enthusiasm, but this is a long road. People know me already. And, you know, that's kind of what he's banking on. We'll see.
1: That's interesting. All right. Well, we've, we've, we could probably do this all day, you know, as listeners know, but, uh, but we've got to wrap this up. More to come. Thank you, Anthony. Um, It's
0: great to be here. I appreciate it.
1: Oh, this is, this is a blast. Good luck on the road. Um, next time you're back in New York, we'll do this again. Looking forward to it. All right. Thanks, Caitlin. that's going to wrap us for this week let me thank as always my wonderful producer alan pang who pulls all of this together and everyone at cbs news radio who makes this possible subscribe or rate please if you like what you've heard at me with questions about polling and politics i am at Salvanto cbs and we are at where did you get this number just the uh, initials there and we'll be back next week most of all thank you for listening